The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. We've got our host on the line with us, Lieutenant Colonel Retired Philip Forsberg, and uh, we're going to be doing starting off our show very shortly on Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And before we do that, we always, or not always, we intend to always do it, but we're going to take out a moment to remember our veterans and remember those that made the ultimate sacrifice. And uh, I'm going to put a plug in. I've never done this before, but uh, I was very impressed with... Greg Kelly on Newsmax that uh, this was on Saturday night before Easter and uh, I've never seen someone that uh, is in in the business do a testimonial but he did and uh, it was very moving and uh, hopefully we're going to get Greg Kelly on and interview him in the near future with that being said we're going to take out our minute to remember our veterans remember our first responders and all of those that are on active duty right now we'll be back in one minute And the other thing that we do that uh, Philip and I both uh, agree upon is that we always like to start the show off, get your blood flowing, and make sure you're ready to go and ready to listen to Lieutenant Colonel Retired Forsberg right after this. Got to have those Jodies. I can do it, you can do it, and uh, many a times that's put a smile on a uh, grunt's face, or it might be uh, someone in the Marines, or who knows, but uh, sir, we're glad to have you with us again today, and I'm looking forward to a great show about remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm, and as we always emphasize, it's so important for families, veterans, and young folks to know about what happened yesterday. And yesterday is Desert Shield and Desert Storm, and we've got a lot of great veterans from both of those times. Uh, 
and you being one of them. Welcome back to America's Web Radio, sir. Pleasure to be here. Well, it, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, and I, I've got to put a plug in for, for this gentleman. He is the most remarkable man that I've I've ever known as far as history goes, and uh, you you know if if you ask him something about history, he's got the answer, and uh, I've never questioned his answer because generally he's always right. And uh, it's uh, it's an honor to be able to call Lieutenant Colonel Retired Philip Forsberg a friend. And uh, I look forward to the show every Monday. And we're uh, going to talk a little ba- bit about current events as well as we want people to remember Desert Shield and Desert Storm. That's why we do the show. And uh, we, we don't want to forget any veteran, no matter what conflict they happen to serve in, or maybe they, they didn't serve in a conflict, but they're still veterans, and they were there if we needed them. So, I hope you had a good weekend, uh, Philip. Uh, I did, sir, and uh, it was uh, it was glorious to celebrate uh, the resurrection of our Lord uh, yesterday on Easter. And uh, we, uh, yeah, I had a great day with my family. You know, it was uh, it was actually Easter Sunday of 1991 uh, that I made my, my way back. Now, it took about 36 hours, so it was more than just Sunday. But uh, uh made my way back from uh, Desert Storm. Uh, it was, uh, we took off out of uh, Saudi Arabia and then... Uh, Eventually, we got to uh, Hood Army. Uh, no, Robert Gray Army Airfield, Fort Hood. Ah, it's a, it's a long flight. How many uh, times yeah. did you stop? Uh, we stopped somewhere around one of the airports around London, and then again at McGuire Air Force Base in New Jersey, and then finally at Robert Gray. Of course, it was a crew change at lengthy. Uh, Round time in between each flight, but uh, we eventually made it back. It was just before midnight hmm. when we got in. But I bet you you wouldn't have cared if it had been three o'clock in the morning, just as long as you were there, right? I, I did not want to miss any of those flights to go home. That was uh, that was my first thought when I got there. Was going home, <laughs> and uh, I guess. Uh, as you became short, tell what tell people that don't know what short means. Uh, short, I guess, uh, sort of is a contraction of uh, the term short timer, and uh, it means uh, that you have very little time remaining um, uh, in your uh, current assignment, and uh, so uh, people. You know, I think they had the expression, I'm so short I could free fall off the edge of a dime. <laughs> that I haven't heard, but <laughs> I, I can imagine it. And uh, I've got a son that uh, he's four and a half months out, but since he's not five months out now, he considers himself short. Yeah, it's a, it's a relative term, isn't it? 
Yeah. All in your perspective, I guess. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, and I am going to do what you asked me to do, or I have, and I'm waiting on him to get me the information. So uh, we, we just passed a little personal stuff on there, folks, so don't pay any attention to me. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on. The Middle East is still not the safest place in the world. Uh, you still have fractions. And uh, let me ask you, Philip, after you serving over there, do you, there, there's always been fractions and always some type of war between the tribes or between the cultures or whatever. Do you think there'll ever really be peace in the Middle East? Uh, yeah, I, I know there will be, but uh, not until the uh, Prince of Peace returns. Okay. Uh, and it's a shame. It's uh, I don't know in my time that there's ever been peace. No, it, there's always people hurting each other. Somewhere. Yeah, it's, and it's it's a shame, and um, the Middle East. Uh, I got some pictures from there the other day, and uh, there there aren't too many trees. You're right about that. <laughs> well, of course, Iraq uh, Iraq has a lot more trees than we had in Saudi Arabia. I think we had one palm tree down by the motor pool. That was about it. <laughs> And uh, how did it get watered? I don't know. I mean, you know, it did rain there, but it didn't rain until uh, probably November. Hmm. Well, it's a it's a uh, depressing looking area of the world, but I guess uh, I guess some people love it, and uh, others of us. Uh, I don't think I could take a, a long stay there but uh, I'm still amazed and I was even talking to uh, some veterans that uh, should have known better but didn't and that was about Desert Shield and Desert Storm and uh, you know it's it's amazing that we forget so fast and that and this is a good place to put in that if if you know a, a veteran from Desert Shield, Desert Storm, and you see him in the airport or you see somebody that I served in Saudi Arabia or I served in Iraq, then take care of them. They're, they should be your heroes. They are the men and the women that have served their country for you and keeping it safe for you and when the call goes out they respond and uh, we've got the greatest military in the world as uh, President Putin is acknowledging right now not saying that we're the best but uh, his military is not performing well and uh, I Somebody told me, and I'm not sure who, but that um, Russia already knew that they had problems with their military and their equipment before they ever uh, went in to uh, 
attack Ukraine. Have you heard anything about that, sir? Well, yes, I have. Um, I, uh, you know, during my travels, uh, after I retired from the, the Army, I, uh, I spent some time with some colleagues that had served in the Soviet Army, and I asked them, uh, what you know, often, I told them, you know, often we had thought about what would happen if we had to go to war against the Soviet Union, and what, did, what were their thoughts about having to go to war against the United States? They just kind of laughed, and they said, <clears throat> we knew our stuff didn't work. Hmm. Um, well, um, you know, they, I think uh, Mr. Putin maybe was uh, believing his own press reports about his armed forces, watching their famous recruiting commercials about, you know, uh, how fantastic their armed forces are, but... Uh, you know, would you uh, you take an army and you uh, invade your neighbor unprovoked with your conscript army? It's uh, morale is going to suffer greatly. I mean, there's no honor for a soldier in doing that. No, it's not exactly like you're somebody's attacked you and and you're going back in to defend the motherland or something, but. Um, yeah. There's nothing patriotic about attacking your neighbor. No. Not at all. And uh, I, I think the uh, the Russian people, heaven forbid if they knew the truth, they would even be more upset. But what little bit of truth they seem to know, they seem to be upset as it is. Yeah. Well... I think they know a lot more than we give them credit for, but it's just they can't really do anything about it. That's um, that's a shame. Do you think the military would ever try in Russia? To do something against Putin? Yes, sir. No. Um, no, they have a long history of... Uh, you know, dealing very severely with any kind of uh, treachery uh, from their generals. Um, I'm sure that uh, Joseph Stalin killed more Russian generals than uh, than the Nazis ever did. Um, so, <clears throat> and that, of course, that was uh, Hitler's uh, one of his things. He would try to get uh, sow seeds of. Uh, mistrust among their uh, generals so that there would be uh, that, that uh, Stalin would kill his own best generals but uh, mm. anyway that's uh, you know the, the Iraqis at Desert Storm they had all Soviet equipment they had uh, Scud missiles not very technologically advanced they had uh, you know Soviet tanks, Soviet uh, infantry fighting vehicles, uh, Soviet artillery, um, and Soviet aircraft, they just didn't get to use them, uh, and it was, uh, and they had Soviet advisors there, believe it or not, a lot of people recall that, they had the, and of course everything 
was built into systems the way our stuff is, and so they had to use uh, Soviet uh, battle doctrine, you know, to accomplish their uh, their military operations, and uh, all of that turned out to be an enormous failure um, against our uh, far superior systems. And you know, I guess. I don't know if this is a fair statement or not, but uh, everything we do, and I'm painting a pretty broad picture, but it's because we care. And I think this goes down to the manufacturer of the Patriot, the manufacturer of our planes, the manufacturer of our tanks. And we have workers that care and I don't get the feeling that uh, and we don't force them to do anything to my knowledge and I don't think this is the same as Russia and or even China really that uh, you know we've had some of the uh, some of the women that, that built planes during World War II on and uh you know, like they said, they every rivet they did, they made sure it was correct because they didn't want to feel like anything they had done hurt or got someone killed in World War II. And I think that philosophy goes on today, and it, it's done with love out of the out for our country. Whereas I don't think in many other, if any other countries can express that. Is that a fair statement? Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I suppose by and large that's that's pretty true. Um, our, uh, our workers, uh, I'm hoping, get compensated uh, adequately for what they do, and, the, and of course, I know our defense contractors do. Uh, but, uh, you know, in a totalitarian type of uh, situation it's uh, I think people are less motivated to uh, you know to do an excellent job they you know when someone's standing on your neck oh yeah you get the best results well we're gonna take out a minute for a break and we'll be back on desert remembering desert shield and desert storm with our host, Lieutenant Colonel Retired Philip Forsberg, right after a couple of messages. Do you love classic and special interest cars? If so, listen to our podcast every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time here on America's Web Radio, or find us on your favorite podcast site, iTunes, Spotify, or any of the others out there. We'll talk about classic cars. We'll talk to car guys. We'll talk to clubs that are here at our facility here in Classic Auto Mall, and we'll also talk about Classic Auto Mall and how we can help you sell your classic or special interest car. So give us a listen every Saturday morning from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Thanks. If you want the truth about politics, medicine, weapons, classic cars, and more, you'll want to tune in to America's Web Radio. You can listen to all of your favorite shows live at www.americaswebradio.com or on demand on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. That's www.americaswebradio.com. 
bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And as always, we do thank you for listening, and you're listening to Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And just once again to let, why do we keep running a show that's about a war that happened 30 years ago? Well, it's very simple, folks. A lot of people have forgotten it. And you ask them, what was Desert Shield about? They have no clue. Well, then, what was Desert Storm about? They have less clue. And we stress the fact of how important today a veterans tell to their family, to their kids, to their grandkids of what they did when they were in the military because our, our history books aren't telling all of the story. And these stories need to be told and they need to be repeated over and over again. We can't forget our veterans, and we can't forget our people that are on active duty. And the folks, if you haven't done it, then you'll know the feeling inside of not doing it, and that's raising your right hand and promising, swearing to defend your country, our country, the best country in the world, against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And this is something that every man and every woman should not only do, but want to do. And that's uh, why we have to remember Desert Shield and Desert Storm and remind your kids about it and remind your grandkids about it and also take out and unfoil a flag and talk about what the flag means to veterans and what it means to our country. So, let's get back to the man of the hour, which is Lieutenant Colonel Retired, Philip Forsberg. Did I miss anything, <clears throat> Philip? I'm sorry, say that again, please. Did I miss anything with that? Uh, no, no, of- <laughs> no, that's quite quite good, David. Um, I always encourage uh, folks to, to uh, do their part whatever part they could do to uh, support strength in our nation. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the innovations uh, that really marked uh, Desert Storm. Uh, a lot of people didn't, uh, you know, we take for granted today um, the, uh, the global positioning system, satellites. A lot of people don't realize uh, how that works. Uh, but you know that your phone's using it all the time and, and your car and all sorts of other things are integrated with this global positioning system. Um, there are a series of satellites that are in a, what they call a geosynchronous orbit, orbit above the Earth. And they, in other words, they hold their relative position to the Earth as it goes around it. Um, they emit uh, a constant signal. So your, uh, your GPS... Uh, system that you're using, uh, your handheld or your phone or whatever, or aircraft system, is completely passive. 
uh, it just uh, there's a there's a, a solution uh, in your phone or an algorithm that determines the uh, the distance of each of those satellites from you, and you have to have reception of so many satellites in order to uh, to get an accurate fix. But uh, it just you know. Uh, computes the speed of light that takes, uh, the amount of time it takes, the speed of light for the uh, signal to get to your receiver, and then it, it uh, computes a, a, a location over the Earth's surface where you are. And it's really, really quite amazing. Uh, and none of our, none of our aircraft uh, or any of our systems in Desert Storm had that because they had just finished putting up the last satellite or one of the last satellites uh, when that system went into use. Uh, the aircraft that I flew during Desert Storm was uh, the OV-1 Mohawk, which had its first flight in 1959, was built by Grumman uh, in Long Island, and uh, the uh, it was, you know, early, early Vietnam technology uh, that was in that. We used an inertial navigation system uh, basically, three-axis accelerometers to determine our location, uh, and, uh, and you had to start with a known location. And uh, it took uh, somewhere between thirty to forty-five minutes of uh, powering the aircraft and, and spinning up those gyros before you took off uh, to have your system be reliable. Uh, and then, but. <clears throat> The, uh, the aircraft uh, was not built for transatlantic flights, but it, it could uh, accommodate these uh, ferry tanks that would allow uh, flight. So when they ferried the aircraft, they went uh, from Maine to Gander, Newfoundland, to Greenland, to Iceland, to Scotland, and then Europe, and then down uh, across the Mediterranean to uh, Egypt, and then over to uh, Saudi Arabia. And can I throw in one thing, Phil, here, that uh, you also had your navigator, anyway, had one of those things called a paper map, I believe. Is that correct? <laughs> and I, I don't know about you, but uh, at my age, I'm still working on refolding them. Yeah, well, uh, actually, the Obi-Wan Mohawk didn't have a navigator. It had uh, two seats. One was for the pilot. And one was for the systems operator, but uh, this, the system is an intelligence collection uh, found moving targets on the ground, and <clears throat> there was no need for a systems operator uh, to go along on the ferry flights, so they brought mechanics instead. Uh, so mechanics rode in that in the right seat, and so there was no navigator. And of course, pilots don't use maps; they use charts. Right. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so, <clears throat> but uh, our maintenance officer, a guy by the name of Henry Bucky Waller, uh, who's just uh, a legend in my mind, uh, he somehow acquired from somebody some handheld uh, GPS uh, receivers. Uh, and this is like super early technology and how he knew how to use them and and, you know, what they provided, um, I can't say. They were, they were an awfully good backup. Of course, they, 
updated um, many of these ferry flights uh, prior to uh, prior to uh, the GPS and desert storm. So uh, the uh, you know it, it was a pretty routine thing, but not it was a routine for like one or maybe two aircraft to go at a time. But this was a whole uh, battalion's worth of uh, aircraft, and uh, it was good. One and one thing that the Mohawk did have. Uh, which is interesting because it was uh, made by Grumman that made a lot of aircraft for the Navy. Uh, it had the air-to-air tack-in capability where you could you could locate your distance and uh, bearing to uh, another aircraft uh, that had the same system on board. So uh, yeah, it was uh, it was pretty good. That was known as Grumman American, right? Grumman, yep. Grumman. Uh, well, Grumman, uh, and then that became uh, Northrop Grumman, uh, and they're they're still around today, but they don't make any airplanes. Uh, they did make some fantastic airplanes. Um, most of the uh, most of the naval aircraft for uh, World War II were Grumman, and uh, of course, one of their more famous uh, ones of of yours and my vintage. Uh, uh, David is the, uh, the um, F-14 Tomcat, which was quite an air superiority fighter. But uh, yeah, so the GPS was really being pioneered during those days, um, and of course now uh, <clears throat> there's been a move away from things like the OB-1 Mohawk that could go out and fly uh, and use radar to, to find targets on the ground. Now, uh, a lot of that has been moved to unmanned aircraft. Uh, they're lighter. Um, they have good endurance time. Uh, you have less uh, fatigue on the crews going out there, actually being in the air. Um, you can switch off crews mid-flight, uh, a shift change or whatever. Uh, and, they, you know, they carry sensor packages on them that make it do they downlink all the uh, the imagery and uh, you know <clears throat> that's another thing um, just prior to uh, the uh, desert shield desert storm time frame uh, I was in a unit that had a lot of experimental uh, stuff and they were they were pioneering the use of uh, what we now could, would call closed circuit TV. People have it in their doorbells and stuff, but these are mounted on aircraft and could give real-time uh, video, uh, like almost like a television station, uh, right to the uh, to <clears throat> a terminal where it was downlinked. And it was that was really high-speed, cutting-edge stuff back then. Um, another thing I think is uh, really characteristic of Desert Shield, Desert Storm was uh, first time we really started using uh, precision-guided munitions. Um, and, of course, you know, then we were using laser designators. Uh, today, you know, uh, uh, like our cruise missiles can use uh, GPS. Uh, I'm not aware that any cruise missiles used during Desert Storm used uh, GPS because it was so developmental at the time but uh, you know that's a big advance in, in warfare 
and then uh, turbine engines in uh, in tanks. The M1 uh, Abrams tank uh, doesn't have a regular big block diesel engine, and it has, has actually has a turbine engine, uh, sort of like your uh, well, air, you know, jets, and helicopters uh, have these turbine engines. They, they start putting them in tanks, and uh, <clears throat> interestingly enough. Uh, the turbine uh, turbine engines in, in jets, military jets, helicopters, and uh, turboprop aircraft, and in these M1 tanks, all could burn the same uh, fuel. Uh, JP8, JP stands for jet propellant. Uh, JP8 is a, a formula. The Navy is particularly fond of JP8 because uh, it. Uh, had a very uh, high flash point, which meant uh, was not as dangerous for like shipboard fires and stuff. If you had a, an aircraft crash or a fuel vessel rupture uh, on the deck, and uh, and of course all of our fuel was JP8 being provided uh, courtesy of the King King Fahad of Saudi Arabia, who provided us all the JP8 we could handle. Um, and um, yeah, it was uh, it was pretty amazing. Let's uh, let's let people think about that for a minute, and we'll take our next break, and we'll be back with Lieutenant Colonel Philip Forsberg. I should say retired. Right after this. If you want the truth about politics, medicine, weapons, classic cars, and more, you'll want to tune in to America's Web Radio. You can listen to all of your favorite shows live at www.americaswebradio.com or on demand on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. That's www.americaswebradio.com. Veteran-owned, America's Web Radio would like to thank all of our incredible patrons. We wouldn't be able to do this without you. If you are not already a patron, you can help us continue to produce some of the most informative and entertaining shows on the Internet by becoming a patron. Patrons of America's Web Radio are the first to receive information about new shows and links to the latest podcast episodes. Join now and receive a free gift while supplies last. For more information and to join our family, please visit www.patreon.com slash America's Web Radio. If you have questions, contact us at gm at americaswebradio.com. And as always, thank you for listening. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the americasbroadcastnetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back on Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm on America's Web Radio. And our host, Lieutenant Colonel Retired Philip Forsberg. And... Philip was talking about some of the technology that, uh, I don't want to say sprang up. I, you know what, in my opinion, Philip, you look at GPS, and, I, and it's just mind-boggling to me. How can, how can a satellite or two satellites or ten satellites keep track of a million cars or whatever whatever the numbers happen to be but that's just to me is just mind-boggling the other side of that coin is 20 years ago when gps was just sort of a dream 
but happening and coming along, and I remember the handheld units that uh, they used in surveying. Uh, but I just wonder, what's on the burner now? What's gonna What's gonna boggle our minds in another ten years or twenty years? And it seems like no matter what it happens to be, somehow it gets maneuvered into the military in one shape, form, or fashion. So I guess that's, I, I can't imagine a dreamer dreaming the next step in whatever it happens to be. What's your thought on that, Philip? You know, the Department of Defense, military, uh, you know, even back when it was War Department, um, they, they've really been on the cutting edge of uh, things. I mean, developing computers. I think the Army had, U.S. Army had the first computer. Um, and then there was uh, um, <clears throat> the things like uh, composite aircraft. That's all military uh, development. Turbine engine aircraft are all um, military developed. All the standards uh, that the FAA uses for uh, turbine engines all developed from uh, military research and development. And uh, you know, there's an outfit in the Pentagon called the Defense uh, Advanced Research uh, Project Agency or DARPA, and uh, you know they they're constantly. Uh, giving grants to folks who have concepts that they want to develop uh, in all sorts of things, uh, materials, capabilities, and uh, it just, uh, it, it's just mind-boggling. What DARPA does is they, they give the seed money to develop it as a concept, and once it becomes commercially viable, then they, they stop funding it and allow the market to fund it. And it's, uh, it's really... Uh, caused a huge boom in technology. Um, I guess one of the hottest things going right now is night vision, isn't it? And we had some of it when I was in, called the Starlight Scope, that <laughs> was uh, uh, very basic at, at best, but uh, I assume they've advanced night vision so much that it's one of the biggest demands in the in the world, I guess. Yep, uh, <clears throat> the Army uh, has their night vision uh, laboratory there at Fort Belvoir, where I did my last duty assignment, and uh, they, uh, they, <clears throat> yeah, they really, you know, when I when I went to flight school, uh, they had gone from the starlight scope, they had come up with these uh, kind of heavy face mask, uh, sort of night vision goggles, binocular that uh, soldiers could use on, like, a patrol or whatever. Uh, oh, sometime in the uh, mid-'70s, people decided, you know, why don't we see if we could fly helicopters with these? So they took the uh, they took these night-vision goggles that had sort of a fiberglass shield around the, uh, the outside, and they, they cut most of that away, and they developed a way to strap it onto our helmets at... Uh, in the hel- you know, their helmet was called a SPH-4, uh, which was sound protective helmet. It wasn't supposed to protect you in a crash. It was just supposed to protect you from uh, loud noise. But the uh, 
they would strap these onto the front of the helmet, and then, you know, of course, this would cause your your face to droop down because you have these heavy goggles on the on the front of your helmet. Um, and so <clears throat> we used to have a little Velcro uh, bag. We put uh, two or three rolls of pennies in it as weights and put them on the back of the helmet to counteract. But now you have the weight of the goggles and the weight of the pennies kind of pushed down your neck the whole time. <laughs> well, <clears throat> they went from that to uh, these uh, what they call PVS fives, and they would they were much uh, smaller and lighter, and they uh, and the visual acuity was much better. And they had a device where you could just kind of flip them up, and they would go in the up position and. Uh, you know, you'd be without the use of the goggles. Uh, and then it, when you flip down, they would turn on. And then instead of uh, <clears throat> it, instead of rolls of pennies, they, they actually put the, uh, the battery pack on the back of the helmet uh, as a counterweight. So it was much lighter. And uh, those things were fantastic. Fantastic. I would fly uh, 120 knots treetop level, pitch dark, and just as comfortable as could be uh, in a little helicopter. You know, most of this, was it developed by someone that had been there and done that and said, gosh, wouldn't it be great if we had, or is it just somebody sitting at a desk coming up, well, I wonder if we could make this work? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's all sorts of things. People, uh, people take a, an idea and they develop it, and uh, then other people improve on it. It's uh, it's an amazing thing. And and then the you Chinese know, get it for free. Well, they're <clears throat> yeah, I suppose they do a lot of reverse engineering of things, um, but that's why we have to stay a couple of steps ahead. Um, you know, uh, and there's there's my my kids. Uh, you know that my youngest will be 20 years old at the end of this month. And, you know, GPS has been a reality his entire life. I'm not sure you could uh, imagine what it was like without it. When they were little, my kids used to marvel at the fact that I could drive all the way from Georgia to New York and not need a map. Um, I have all this stuff in my head, you know. <laughs> uh, they, they just thought that was amazing. Or we could drive to St. Louis. Dad never looks at a map. But, uh, yeah, <clears throat> and now uh, I try to describe streets to my son and, you know, tell him where things are located. He doesn't know the names of the streets because his, his telephone tells him where to turn. Uh, so he didn't, he didn't learn the name of the streets. Well, times change. And I, I guess we all have to get used to changing with it. And, uh, you know, our parents or my parents uh, would have never dreamed of GPS. And, you know, even, you know, my mother was a navigator. And um, 
sitting on the right, right seat in the car and uh, had the map unfolded. And, uh, you know, that was that was the way you took a trip or a vacation to some place you didn't know where you were going. And Oh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I used to uh, fly a great deal just navigating by paper maps, um, which is uh, a bit of a trick when you're flying a single hel- single pilot helicopter. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah! By yourself, you kind of got to know where you're going um, because it's uh, yeah. You, you got to keep both your hands on the controls uh, flying a helicopter. I still haven't figured out what keeps them in the air, but you know. <laughs> That's my problem, not their problem. Uh, okay, so really the door had just barely opened in Desert Shield and Desert Storm to some of the electronics that we take for granted today, correct? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, absolutely. No, and I, I guess the other thing that I marvel at, and you and I have talked a little bit about this, but... You know, I'm. I love my country. I love America, and we live in the greatest country in the world. And I don't think any other country in their scientific development is more concerned about collateral damage than the United States is. And we design things. It's like the smart bombs. We want them to hit their targets. We don't want to hit close to our targets because we don't want the collateral damage. We want to hit what we're aiming at. Fair statement? Yeah. Let's save our ammunition. You know, our, just what's going on right now in Ukraine... They don't care what they hit, or Russia doesn't care what they hit, just as long as it comes down sometime or the other, and doesn't circle back and get them. But yeah, you know the you know uh, recently they had that ship, the Moskva, uh, that was uh, sunk. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, Russian cruiser sunk in the Black Sea uh, by a Neptune missile. Um, it's an interesting thing. The, uh, the, our Navy has developed uh, this uh, SeaWiz. It's a uh, counter uh, close-in weapon system. Um, so if there's, say, a cruise missile coming at the ship, uh, it's not going to have much of a, an arc or trajectory. Um, <clears throat> so it could come in right at the waterline and strike the ship. Well, they have these... Uh, the SeaWiz uses... Uh, a 20 millimeter uh, Gatling gun uh, and a radar system that that uh, it's it's kind of like air defense, but it's close in and it goes right down to the water line and uh, it basically shoots the missile with these 20 millimeter rounds and destroys it. And uh, we were we, we kind of borrowed that technology uh, in the army and we put on these. Uh, Operating bases in Iraq, Kuwait, uh, and uh, and Afghanistan, uh, especially Iraq, though, uh, in, in the recent 
you know, maybe the last 15 years, we have something called CRAM, which is counter rocket artillery and mortar, and it uses the same radar system and an automated, automated uh, fire control solution linked to these uh, to the Gatling guns, and uh, they can actually shoot multiple uh, mortar rounds that are uh, inbound right out of the air. Wow. And it's just amazing. Now, the Russians kind of, they mimicked something like that, and they, they, they put it, they had it on their, on their ship. But uh, uh, what I'm told is that the, uh, they used um, basically a swarm of unmanned aircraft uh, all around the, the Moskva uh, to keep their uh, radars busy uh, trying to find, you know, what, which of these uh, unmanned aircraft systems might be a threat. And uh, while it was being confused like that, that's when they brought in the, the Neptune missile and, and uh, sunk it. Well, that's, that's got to uh, have sunk in, in both ships that Russia's lost. It has to have sunk Putin's ego considerably, I would think. Yeah. Um, you know, you... Uh, you got to count the cost. I think uh, Jesus uh, warned that you need to count the cost, and uh, he wasn't necessarily talking about warfare, but he did use warfare as an example. And uh, it seems as though uh, Mr. Putin, if he did count the cost, might have made some uh, accounting errors. <laughs> On that note, we're going to take our last break, and we'll be back with Lieutenant Colonel Retired philip farsberg right after this ladies and gentlemen boys and girls of, of, of all ages join me roger b every tuesday at 1400 hours right here on america's web radio for the locked and loaded show we will talk about guns weapons ammo gun accessories prepping and so much more so be sure to join us every tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m for locked and loaded on america's web radio If you want the truth about politics, medicine, weapons, classic cars, and more, you'll want to tune in to America's Web Radio. You can listen to all of your favorite shows live at www.americaswebradio.com or on demand on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. That's www.americaswebradio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And I want to invite anyone that's uh, listening today or listening to the podcast later, if you have a question for Lieutenant Colonel Farsberg, retired, uh, just send it to General or GM at AmericasWebRadio.com, and we'll be sure that he gets it and he will address your questions in one of the upcoming shows. And you're welcome to make your comments about if you served in Desert Shield or Desert Storm, we'd like to hear from you as well. Or if you had a family member that served in either one of them. Uh, so just uh, send your comments to America's GM at americaswebradio.com, and we'll be glad to address your questions or comments. And we, we've got a number of veterans that listen to America's Web Radio, and we're so proud of what we do and 
what we're doing with our veterans and letting and reminding people if you're out in a restaurant or airport or whatever the case might be and you see a veteran saying I served on the USS whatever or if they're in if it's active duty personnel It'll make you feel so great, you'll wonder, why have I not been doing this before? But buy them a cup of coffee, buy them a dinner, buy them a lunch, whatever the case might be. You will feel so good, and they will appreciate it. And uh, I speak from experience and knowledge of today, as a matter of fact. And uh, I, uh, my son's on active duty, and he gave me a story the other day. So... If you want to feel good about yourself, pass it on and do something good for our veterans or our active duty folks. And it's always important to let them know that you thank them for their service. So let's get back to Desert Shield and Desert Storm and uh, technology. And it's just absolutely amazing. You know, Philip, if we could, if we spent as much time and money and we do in many, many, many ways. But figuring out how to save lives, and we have actually because of some of the things that we figured out for taking lives. But what a great world it would be if, if everything was aimed at saving lives. But we have yeah. to protect ourselves too. Yeah, war... If- if nothing else, war is certainly waste. Um, think of all the the effort and the treasure that's gone into uh, building up those all those neighborhoods in uh, in Ukraine that are just being destroyed. Wow! It's just uh, it's just horrible, horrible waste. But uh, uh, I. I you know, the greed of somebody like uh, Vladimir Putin um, and uh, just the pride and selfishness that's uh, just overwhelming. It's really make you want to cry. Well, he, like everyone else, will be judged. And, uh, you know, I... It's just too bad it can't come sooner than later. But, you know, it, uh, I'm like you. I look at, I guess one of the things that kills me is when I watch some of the news and they have some of the scenes from the Ukraine, is the little kids. Holy, you know, they have no clue what's going on. They're being displaced. They may or may not be with a relative, maybe a friend, who knows. But I just my heart breaks for the kids and the and the people in general with the the uh, you know I, I'm old enough to remember not World War Two but but clips from World War Two and the deer in the headlight expressions on many people's faces and and. Particularly, I appreciate it now because I'm older and old, and the expression on a, a lady's face or a man's face that 
what am I going to do now? They've had their home of 20 years, 30 years, whatever, destroyed, and the shock that's on their face. And it's just, it tears me up. And I hope it tears other people up to the point that they will do something about it. Yeah. Uh, this kind of suffering is uh, it's hard. Uh, a lot of the, the folks I told you about, the folks that they sent to be our linguists, uh, they're actually Kuwaitis. Um, and they, uh, I mean, these were folks that had their, uh, their homes uh, destroyed, their, uh, their wives and mothers sisters uh, violated by the Iraqis the uh, uh, their, their fathers killed you know and uh, now they're you know was it, you know it was hard I felt very horrible for these guys um, but uh, you know we uh, we made sure that Saddam paid for that and uh, there was no there was no glory for those Iraqis. Uh, you know, there may have been a temporary, um, temporary thing, but uh, we we made sure that uh, the the net effect was negative. For what they had done. You know, it's. I look at war sort of like I look at a court case, and that is, you've got who wins in a court case. Only the opposing attorneys, you know. The victims may or may not win, whether they get a settlement or not. But the, and this is sort of like with war, is that nobody really wins. There's destruction on both sides. There, you know, how do you compare whether it's my son or your son that's killed? You know, it's still our sons that are, are killed in action. And nobody wins at that point. Um, and there's just, there's nothing good to say about war, in my opinion. No. But, you know, it's not to say that, you know, we, we can't just be pacifist about everything because, you know. The no, there's, way, a, there's always the bad guy out there. Yeah. And, you know, the only... The only way to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. You know. How true. And uh, so we need more good guys. Sir, we need um, more responsible nations, too. Absolutely. And I think uh, on that note, we're going to end it for the day. And thank you, Lieutenant Colonel Retired Philip Forsberg, for another great show. And we cherish your thoughts and thank you so much for being on America's Web Radio and we'll see you next time folks take care the views opinions and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station you're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com thank you for listening